Before we get started, guys, we're pretty stoked to announce a giveaway. Our friend Phoebe Paradise, who is featured on this episode, is giving away a free pair of her amazingly designed socks for whoever can guess the amount of times we say Mindhunter on this episode. Sean, when would that be starting from? Would the the prior Mindhunters count, or are all Mindhunters after this time I say Mindhunter included as the final count of the times we say Mindhunter? So all the Mindhunters that have already been said are included in the overall Mindhunter count. So okay. you need to include the Mindhunter counts from before the intro, mm-hmm. during the time that we started talking about Mindhunter, and then... Again, you'll need to add that to the overall Mindhunter count that will commence once the episode about Mindhunters, the movie, not based on the David Fincher television show Mindhunter. Uh, Once that begins, you'll need to include those Mindhunters as well. Okay, so after and before including this Mindhunter. Mindhunter. (laughs) Yeah, Mindhunter. (laughs) Happy Mindhunting, guys. Welcome to Take a Look Around, where the mind is haunted and the haunted is the mind. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's crazy, bro. <laughs> whoa, man, whoa. <laughs> you're, uh, you're joined here by the one, the only, B-Man, a.k.a. Batesy, a.k.a. Notorious B-A-T. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just having a stroke. That's how haunted my mind has been by this Damn, movie. man. I know, what, I know what you're talking about because me, Shawnee Campion, your co-host, I'm feeling <laughs> extremely mind-haunted right now. <laughs> Sean, before we get started, we got to do what we do every week. Is there any upcoming new metal movies that we should be aware of i am so glad you asked me this week and every week al because i've been doing a bit of research this week uh-huh. it's funny with everything that's been happening with covid 19 and you know downturns in terms of output from cinemas a lot of big chains are shutting up shop or, or and a lot of the studios are pushing back a lot of their films till next year so it, it's funny that we were able to find what I found today. Can I get a drum roll? Okay, for the year 2020, the year of our Lord, there are no new new metal films. Astute listeners might have heard a third laugh in the room. That's because we're joined by a guest of ours, our friend Phoebe Sheehy. I'm so well, thank you. I uh, put on a full face of makeup for the podcast, so feeling like really nice and insecure today. (laughs) Love it. Now, our friend Phoebe is a triple threat. She is the artist and designer of her own fashion label and design firm, Phoebe Paradise, the lead singer of up-and-coming punk 
band from Brisbane, Australia, Lexicon. My best friend. Oh, oh my god. Thank you so much. That's such a nice intro. What are you working on at the moment, Phoebes? I don't know if you've heard, but there's this really crazy thing that's going on at the moment um, where a bunch of people are really sick and it's kind of killed the arts industry completely. <laughs> so to be honest, I'm not working on heaps. I've um, spent this entire quarantine like just trying to, I don't know, keep myself busy and like not go insane by doing lots of illustration work. <laughs> I love it. Now, Phoebes, what was your introduction to the sultry sounds of new metal and to the vivid descriptors of new metal cinema? Oh, I love that. Look, I, I was a pretty sheltered, like, indoor kid. Me, it was me and my brother, who's like 18 months older than me. So we were doing lots of reading, lots of Warhammer and Dungeons and Dragons and like LARPing and stuff. <laughs> my, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, new metal is only for cool kids, right? I um, strongly disagree. <laughs> so like, you know, dad would like use his jigsaw to make wooden swords. And my brother and I would beat the shit out of each other to Linkin Park. <laughs> um, okay, I'm listening, I'm listening. Essentially, like in our house, we only had like five albums, including like Paul Simon's Graceland Sweet. and the Buena Vista Social Club. So like music music wasn't like a huge part of my household. So like new metal cinema was actually the introduction to new metal for me. Triple X and SWAT and like the Matrix and the Matrix Reloaded. Between like when I was from like 10 to 15, um, those movies pretty much entirely informed my interest in new metal music. But pretty much, like, Linkin Park was, like, the be-all, end-all for me and my best friend. That rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I and love I it. still unironically love Linkin Park. Oh, dude. When Chester Bennington died, I was, like, working in an office job, and two co-workers, like, came past my cubicle, and I was just blasting Linkin Park that whole day, just, like, dude, sobbing incredibly well. It was my 9-11. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. You know that, like, I would gravitate in the morning between, I'm listening to this from nostalgia, lunchtime was, this is a genuinely good song, yeah. <laughs> to evening was, I have reached full psychosis. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. It still just like, holds up so well. I think it's great. And it's so, so sad what happened to Chester. But, like, man, it will live on in our memories forever. Anyway. We're going to talk about a little film today called Mindhunters. Not the David Fincher television series, but a film that nobody has heard of. Play clip. The suspect is dead. Situation is secure. Hey! Special Agent Moore, when is the situation secure? On the drive home. That's right, on the drive home. I think you enjoy watching us fail. Better in here than out there. On a remote island. Here we are, Crime Town, USA. Seven of the FBI's top profilers. If you're all smarter, you wouldn't be here. I just want you to be smarter. Come together to face the ultimate challenge. Tomorrow morning, you'll find the crime scene. The simulation will be a test primarily of your teamwork. So what's the point? The point is that you're isolated, alone, and forgotten. That's what it's like to be inside the mind of the sociopath. But what began as a simple exercise... It's no fun unless it's a challenge, right? 
has turned into a deadly test. Now, somebody left those watches. It's a message. At 12 o'clock, someone else is killed. The hunters, there's no one on the island, are about to become but us. Whoa. The hunted. This is a joke, right? <laughs> Two watches, two traps. What time are they set for? They're set for now. James Todd Smith, also known as LL Cool J, with Val Kilmer and Christian Slater. Time's up, ass. Mind Hunters. It's not you, it's not me, it's not her. Who's that leave, mister? It leaves the last man standing. Before we get started, I do want to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the name Mindhunters. Now, I did mention there was a well-known David Fincher television series called Mindhunter. This has <laughs> nothing to do with that outside of also examining the, the lives and the stories of FBI profilers. It's a fantastic series, and if That's you great content. take away anything from this episode today, you should watch that instead of this. <laughs> I never finished it because I went to the pub one time. At this point, I had a, a moustache. I'm quite a tall and large fellow, and uh, I literally walked into the pub, and the first thing someone said to me was... Uh, Mindhunter! Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I do. The, the resemblance is uncanny. Ted Kemper. Yeah, Ted Kemper, that's his name. And yeah, after that, I was like, "Fuck this shit! I'm never watching another fucking episode." Okay, in the in the interest of total honesty with my co-host, I sank about fifteen beers over the course of the episode that introduced Ed Kemper, and most of it was just hovering around the send button of a photo of him <laughs> to you. <laughs> it's my bad, Betsy. You know man. I love you, baby. No, I know. But even my aunt and uncle have been like, <laughs> you look like Ed Kemper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so Mindhunters. Mindhunters kicks off with... The Tobis Productions presents. <laughs> As all the big studios fall apart due to coronavirus, we're going to see big things from Tobis <laughs> Productions. So we get a brief, what is supposed to be a flashback. A character is drowning. This will come into play later, but what you'll realise in this film, if you do seek it out, do is it. that character traits and storylines and plot twists are introduced with such frivolity that you really don't understand why they're there or what their purpose is this will be the first and it's not even three seconds in <laughs> so christian slater who is you know it's bizarre to see him in a film he feels like he's always been like a wash up like yeah, I mean, at this point, he well and truly is washed out. But it was one of his last, right? I think he still does stuff. To be honest, he was in that Mister Robot that I hear is fantastic, but I oh, simply he never was, watched. Wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is the. I want to say the lead in this. He gets top billing. <laughs> yeah, 
when, when was Christian Slater's time to shine? Was it Heather's? Is that it? Heather's, True Romance. I think he was like, you know, like a star that shines so bright can only shine for so long. Yeah, and it started shining off his fucking five head. Jesus Christ. <laughs> My man got some male pattern baldness. Anyway. Oh, bless him. So... Christian Slater and the lady from Cold Case, whose name has escaped me, so will be referred to as Cold Case for the rest of the episode. <laughs> or poor man's Meg Ryan. <laughs> they are investigating some kind of crime at some spooky abandoned house. Yeah. It, it feels straight out of a video game cutscene here. Like this is some Resident Evil Seven territory. Absolutely, and their the reason for investigating is because they find paint cans. There's that like. We got the paints and you got the plates. <laughs> <laughs> like straight away, it kind of sets it up to be like a new metal silence of the lambs. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> just kind of like that last scene in Buffalo Bill's house, but down, like dropped tuned into D standard. <laughs> and they play it right at the start of the movie. This ain't yeah. your grandpappy's silence of the lambs. All of a sudden, it's kind of revealed that whilst they're investigating the house, that it was all a simulation, and then for some reason Val Kilmer is just in the scene eating cake. Eating the shit out of that cake, man. <laughs> like, is this the movie that made Val Kilmer fat? Yeah. Every, time, every time you see an actor on screen eating something, they've had to eat that thing, like 65 takes or whatever, and this is the hill I'll die on. This is the movie that made Val it's Kilmer just so fat. good because he's like audibly munching as well. <laughs> Man, this fucking movie is like like remembering a dream. Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense straight off it's the bat. It's just so many tropes mashed in together. And I feel like that's, you know, it's a simulation. So they're trying to ham it up with like the hanging dead cats and like the birthday cake and like the wind up music and all that kind of stuff. But it starts off with the simulation, but you realize as the movie goes on, like, oh no, these tropes are just going to continue for the entire fucking movie. <laughs> Whoa, I just got mind hunted. <laughs> so anyway, after revealing that it's a simulation and that Val Kilmer is their corpuscular boss, <laughs> uh, we are transported to Mind Hunter HQ, which blew me away when I was researching this film, is actually the Hay. Oh, wow. <laughs> so this film was made in 2004, so prime invading. Iraq era and the Hague was like oh there's not really any war criminals going on let's uh let's rent this place out to LL Cool J <laughs> uh, this whole Kosovo thing wrapped up a lot quicker than I thought <laughs> <laughs> Let's check out that new tapas place. <laughs> I have to correct you slightly, Sean, because the film actually started filming in 2002, but wasn't fucking released until 2005. Oh, wow. <laughs> so more on that a little later. Let's call him Jeffrey Mindhunter. What's Val Kilmer's character? I think he had a pretty, like... No Harris? Harris. Harris, Harris Mindhunter. Harris <laughs> Mindhunter tells a group of assembled students who are all the wrong side of 30 <laughs> these are not hey no never too old to start learning guys <laughs> <laughs> these are not children by any regard i mean mature age students if your class valedictorian is fucking christian slater <laughs> harris mindhunter tells them that they're going for a little trip to jeffrey epstein's island 
for a weekend, which will be the true test to become a mind hunter. The make or break. You either hunt mines or you get mind hunted. <laughs> it then straight away cuts to them chilling the fuck out to some maroon fire at a bar. Chumming it up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and there's this whole scene where they're like trying to profile chicks walking in to, like, oh my to, God. <laughs> to chat them up. This features heavily in the trailer and it's the only like moment in the movie I feel that tries to show any personality in the characters, but I feel like at no point do you believe that these people fucking like each other one bit. No, not at all. There's literally British guy, Hispanic lady, wheelchair man. Other British guy. (laughs) Third British guy. Oh, man. Yeah, like they're doing that whole bit where they're essentially trying to mind hunt for sport, so they're gambling, going like, oh, I bet you can't mind hunt this chick into fucking you. And they're like, oh, yeah, I bet you can do it. I bet you can mind hunt. Yeah, and then there's like a gay joke in there and stuff. So this sequence here will establish the fact that there are nine different leads in this film all vying for your attention at any given point it's exhausting also you don't know anyone's fucking name the entire movie (laughs) unrecognizable characters they also cast people that look kind of identical to each other as well like three of the male actors like i couldn't distinguish between the entire movie they all have bedhead and um yeah, that's about it, really. I think they're all British. They might have been in Game of Thrones. They're all, like, 33. <laughs> so they all jump on a helicopter to take their way to Jeffrey Epstein's Little St. James, or Little St. Mindhunter, as I like to call it. And uh, lo and behold, there's someone along for the ride. The tenth member of the crew, LL Cool J. Ladies love. He is literally the best part of this movie, in my opinion. And I wish that he got more screen time and had the opportunity to become the leading man of this movie. Don't you think? We touched on it a bit in the previous episodes with Blade in that there was, like, attempts to make LL Cool J a leading man in the 90s. He was the original choice for Blade and New Line Cinema were were interested in a much larger budget if LL Cool J would sign on rather than Wesley Snipes. But uh, LL Cool J went on to do the fantastic tour de force that is Deep Blue Sea by the same Mm. director of Mindhunters, Yes. It's kind of a shame though, because I would have loved like an LL Cool J rap at the end of Blade that just recounts the whole movie. Oh, which is oh what this God, movie please. was missing, unlike the yes. <laughs> <laughs> So we rock up to Little Saint Mindhunter, where we are wi- bear witness to what is a fully formed town on this on this island which has been designed by the Navy and the FBI to pose as FBI Mindhunter training town. It's it's full of creepy mannequins. There's 10,000 stray cats running <laughs> around. Oh, yeah, the cat folly on this movie is so good. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I feel like they used the same like recording and just like flipped it and pitch shifted it the entire time. <laughs> There's all these old timey 1950s shops. It, it's funny. Johnny Lee Miller, JLM. Uh, Dracula uh, 2000s, Johnny Lee Miller. <laughs> a favorite here at Take a Look Around headquarters. Establishes himself as an, as an early buyer for the lead with the line, this place looks like Beirut meets Belfast. <laughs> in the most mangled American accent you've ever heard in your entire life. <laughs> My goodness, Johnny Lee Miller's grasp of the English language in this film is devastating. He's supposed to be Southern, but he's... I mean, I guess. <laughs> it's so hard to tell. But he's... You know, like we've mentioned before, his accent is Jason Statham doing an Austin Powers impression, which in this is also on top of that doing a Dukes of Hazard impression. And it is fucking garbage. Yeah, yeah he <laughs> sucks, man. So Harris Mindhunter informs the recruits that they will be left to their own devices for the weekend to track down an insidious serial killer by the name of The Puppeteer. And only then will they become Mindhunters. The team all bunker down for the the afternoon and they've brought enough (laughs) luggage and supplies for what is six months. They get very at home in the place and put up porn all over their walls. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's some good stuff. Yeah, anyway, so yeah. the mind hunters are all set up for the the weekend and they are sitting around the table all showing each other how smart they are by yeah. solving Rubik's My cube. god. That entire scene is so funny where they're just like, "Hey, we're just regular guys like we're like slapping steaks down and like Talking about wanting cigarettes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Let's talk about specific plot points that may uh, be foreshadowing certain issues later in the movie. (laughs) Everyone is extremely horny and extremely juvenile. Like, I can't help but feel that this was written for maybe 18 to 24 year olds to play the roles. And by the time the studios Mm -hmm. got to it, it kind of worked its way up to 30 plus year olds. And their dialogue is just absolutely ridiculous. After a brief sex scene between the girl from The Mummy Returns and Christian Slater, they don't have sex scenes in movies. That was like a make out in the shower scene. I really got the impression like, in this movie, Christian Slater was like, yeah, I'll do your movie if you let me fuck that chick from The Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, okay, we haven't cast her. Thank you for your input. <laughs> <laughs> so they wander out into the town of Little Saint, a mind hunter. We wander into a toy store where we are subjected to this bizarre Rube Goldberg situation. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. With Christian Slater and a set of dominoes that suddenly turns into a liquid nitrogen canister exploding. So good. And this liquid nitrogen fucking nerfs him as well. Oh, my God. 
had to do was like get Belette just ever so slightly. <laughs> it was extremely pointed. Like the, the idea is that the serial killer built the machine from Wallace and Gromit to kill <laughs> Christian Slater. <laughs> After Christian Slater's untimely demise, where he's forced to chill out, the yes. rest of the team is just like, "All right, fuck this. We're getting the fuck out of here." and head to the docks, completely forgetting that the always welcome Clifton Collins Jr. from Tigerland is in a wheelchair (laughs) and is unable to keep up with them as they wander across the Danish highland where this was filmed. When they get to the docks, everything immediately explodes. Cold Case almost drowns, if not for JLM, saving her and proceeding to go on some bizarre freak out tangent so weird that entire scene was so so bizarre because you're not given any indication that she's got like issues with water at all and he rescues her from the water and he's like nobody fucking touch her i'm saving her she's afraid of water this is my thing i'm doing this really strange like all of the other actors are looking at johnny lee miller like what like what are you doing yeah, is this what acting is, is, is this right british acting yeah. oh, sure. it's also like when his voice breaks so much like in that one scene where he's yelling he just has like the mangled like southern accent going into british going in yeah a real <laughs> fucking mess <laughs> a real mind to unpack yes, <laughs> so the gang decides look if christian slater is gonna get put on ice and the dock is going to explode. Let's get guns. Let's get lots of fucking yeah. guns. <laughs> and a thermal imager for some yeah. reason. <laughs> and then we get the best scene of the movie, the coffee scene. Oh, my now, God. everyone else then realizes, uh-oh, the coffee was drugged. We've been mind hunted. <laughs> and proceed to very loudly smack into the ground. Is everybody all right? You're all lying here. How come so am I? Maybe it's a trick so you can finish what you started. Look, I'll tell you why the maps were in the bag. No, you tell us what you put in the coffee. That's what you tell us. Hey, who made it? Did I make the coffee? Sherlock Holmes over there made it. The man is calling you a killer. Personally, I think you might want to defend yourself. Now, as everyone wakes up and realizes that they've been drugged, the guy from Game of Thrones' head falls off. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best jump scare in this. The movie sucks. Like, it sucks so bad. But that that one scene where they're like, hey, wake up, and his head just rolls off. It it doesn't roll off. It pops off and falls into wheelchair guy's lap. Like, it was just absolutely hilarious. Both of us were, like, on the Zoom call. It's like, ah! So about this point in the movie, I started taking notes where I was like, Okay, this film doesn't know what it wants to be. It wants to be a rapper. It wants to be a rocker. It wants to give it up to all the ladies and the fellas that don't give a fuck. (laughs) Even if this movie doesn't have any new metal in it, unfortunately, this film is pretty new metal in that it is stylistically schizophrenic. New metal adjacent, I would call it. From here on out, we get... A number of red herrings and bizarre sequences. There's 
Everyone has got chalk on the back of their backs that spell out Croaton from the Roanoke conspiracy of where early settlers in America went missing on an island. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Like this film like introduces ideas as quickly as it gets rid of them. Yeah, how there's that whole thing about the killer being obsessed with time and leaving like watches everywhere and but they figure out also a puppeteer. Yeah. <laughs> There's dead cats uh, hanging from the ceiling everywhere. They the time that things happen at seems to change at random from ten o'clock to six o'clock, depending on yeah. what they need it to do. Yeah, I feel like that the themes are just like so all over the place, and they introduce these weird moments like that. Yeah, like oh, the conspiracy of the island where all those people disappeared, rather than introducing plot. <laughs> about the characters yeah. all of that foreshadowing about cold cases fear of water was left on the cutting room floor apparently they actually did an entire scene that explained that thing <laughs> but instead they were like no we have to go with the island conspiracy <laughs> i gotta trim the fat here let's uh get rid of the part that makes the whole movie make yeah. sense <laughs> for exposition guys <laughs> So they do straight up the blood tests from the thing and everyone is mad at Cold Case because the mind hunter has mind hunted her into being the killer. And then Anaxa Moon from the mummy smokes a cigarette she found on the ground, <laughs> which was filled with acid. It burns a hole in her entire body. <laughs> she has the hammiest fucking death I've ever seen. All of the deaths in this, I think, are like probably the shining moments of the film. If you look at this through the lens of being a horror movie rather than like a crime thriller or a drama, you could kind of go like, yeah, okay, I get it. Like, yeah, this is a good slasher film, but like a totally. fucking terrible crime thriller. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if they just tried, instead of trying to make it look like a smart movie and accepted it as an incredibly dumb <laughs> yeah. movie, it might have been very oh, this good. This movie thinks it's so smart. <laughs> it doesn't thinks it? it's so fucking smart. Like all of the Rubik's Cube shit, like. The Rube Goldberg machine. The like, speed of extra- light number. Oh, <laughs> my God. Like, it's just a number. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll whiz along to the climax here, but uh-huh. by this point, all we have left is LL Cool J, JLM, and Cold Case. What? Please keep up, Lister. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Who proceeds to have a shootout in a field full of mannequins where... It's revealed that uh, the bad guy is actually LL Cool J. Now, this devolves into a fight scene back in uh, Mindhunter HQ, where LL Cool J proceeds to drop some bizarre quotes about Mm. being a killer and everything and attempt to kill Cold Case and JLM. After being knocked out with a fire extinguisher, it's revealed that the real bad guy is actually Johnny Lee Miller. And he has been the whole time. 
And LL Cool J's <laughs> character has got nothing to do with anything. His purpose in this film is shrouded in mystery, to be honest. Absolutely ridiculous. So LL Cool J was sent over there to investigate Harris, who they found dead. So Val Kilmer's <laughs> yeah. character, who got a grand total of 10 minutes screen time, much like Christian Slater, who were both like top billing in this movie. Both of them dead. LL Cool J is basically just used as a device to throw everyone against each other. Kind of like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He had one of the best scenes in the movie, though, where he... Man, I'm really just, like, loving LL Cool J. <laughs> so, but yeah. the ladies love him. <laughs> but, yeah, the rest can suck me from the back. <laughs> so the final sequence is straight up comes, I want to say, from the mind of a child... <laughs> where Cold Case and Johnny Lee Miller are shooting at each other in a swimming pool and oh. dodging oh, the bullets yeah. in real time. Who can hold their breath the longest wins? <laughs> Before they both <laughs> stick their guns out of the water and whoever runs out of air quickest gets shot, which it straight up feels <laughs> like something your little cousin would tell you and you'd be like, shut the fuck <laughs> up, Bevan. So <laughs> As I said earlier, it just feels like waking up from a dream and trying to explain it to everybody. It's We were in the water shooting guns at each other and LL Cool J was there because we were going to a training camp. For <laughs> <laughs> it does have one final attempt to vindicate itself, which is after Johnny Lee Miller rises again to kill them like in Carrie, he's shot dead by LL Cool J who has the all-time best line oh, of yeah. all time. I guess we found out his weakness. Bullets. <laughs> <laughs> like that classic Woody Allen bit from that James Bond movie nobody saw, the original Casino Royale, where he's like, Yeah, I'm allergic to bullets. <laughs> my doctor says I cannot have any foreign bodies entering me. Oh like, my God. <laughs> That's too good. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, Al's Woody Allen impression goes a little further than that, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, production. This film is directed by a little director by the name of Rennie Harlan. If you don't immediately recognise his name, that's okay. You would have seen one of his films before. In the late 80s and early 90s, he was really the creme de la creme of young, up-and-coming Gen X film directors. Originally from Finland, he cut his teeth on an amazing Viggo Mortensen film called Prison, which is on YouTube if you want to check it out, and Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Child. He would then go on to become one of the biggest action directors in Hollywood, making Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger, and marrying Gina Davis. Va, va, voom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right on, dude. Now, yeah. in, the, in the latter half of the 90s, he would have some of the biggest commercial failures of all time. Prior to the 2000s, his film Cutthroat Island was genuinely the biggest box office 
bum of all time. Is it still the biggest box office bum of all it's time? It's not. The box office bum. <laughs> box office bum. You'd have time. to be smoking a box office <laughs> bum to have made that movie. Hell yeah, it's brother. in the top ten still. Like it, it is one of the biggest failures of all time, unfortunately. He pivoted away from that and had a run of films that didn't really go anywhere. For instance, Mindhunters, before finding his feet again after divorcing Gina Davis by moving over to China and becoming one of the biggest action directors in the new Chinese market. So, I mean, this is China's decade. We're laughing at him now, but like he'll outlive all of us in President Xi Jinping's imperial palace which will withstand the nuclear war so um good on you rennie harlan another thing that's crazy about the production of this movie is that it's just an adaptation of an agatha christie book (laughs) what's the original title of that book it's so so loosely based on the book that it's like barely comparable i feel um uh and then there were none (laughs) no i think it had another title Come on, man. <laughs> so the screenplay is by Wayne Kramer. From the MC5? Was a, no. Who <laughs> uh, was a script doctor in Hollywood who made a fantastic William H. Macy film by the name of The Cooler. Oh, The Cooler. Uh, yeah, great film. It's and about a vampire, this, right? The Cooler? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I might just unplug and go if that's okay. <laughs> no, we're done with vampires, listeners. We swear to God. <laughs> Wayne Kramer's script was bought by a little man we like to call Harvey Weinstein. Like this movie, I think, especially is interesting because it it started filming in 2002 and wasn't released until 2005. But this happened because of Disney and Miramax having a split during that time. Miramax being Harvey Weinstein's company with his brother Bob Weinstein and silent partner Alistair Bates. Hey. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad divorce and Al Bates was their son. <laughs> so a little bit of privy into what went on there. After Miramax's massive successes in the 90s, they were bought out by Disney in the late 90s. This was thought by Miramax to be a big fucking deal and it was in in the 90s movie world in that Miramax was really the home of the indies and responsible for the careers of say Quentin Tarantino making such Oscar winning films as The English Patient Shakespeare and Love and shepherding uh, Lego's world of Bionicle into into the filmmaking canon. The new metal Lego (laughs) (laughs) Michael Eisner was the chief of Disney at the time. If anyone wants to get a good insight into the world of Michael Eisner in the late 90s, early 2000s, I'd recommend the absolutely fantastic YouTube documentary series Defunct Land about the rise and fall of Disney's entertainment and theme parks. Now, Disney was going through a rough patch in the early 2000s, and what they had in Miramax was a red-headed stepchild that was chewing through cash with complete autonomy. Michael Eisner would nip this in the bud by severing any relationship he had with the Weinstein brothers. In re- A number of films that were slated to be released disappeared into the ether, 
Mindhunters was lucky that it actually got a release, but several years after the fact, like Phoebe said, this was supposed to come out in 2002, 2003, but it wouldn't see a proper release until 2005. (laughs) What I wanted to talk about was this concept of these films that are really big deals at the time they're made and are just shelled for a number of years until they hit near obscurity. Mindhunters was one that really stuck out for me when I discovered the trailer. We'll put some more up on our Instagram so that you can also feel the dream. I think the most recent uh, big one would be Underwater with Christian Stewart. I like that Miller. movie, man. That was good. It's great. I loved that movie. It was so horny. Yeah. I loved Christian Stewart was gorgeous we're not going to talk about tj miller being in it we can pretend we had vincent cassell just being a weird underwater man i like i like that movie so fun it's a fantastic film but that was made in 2015 uh shortly before tj miller and alistair bates kind of really jumped (laughs) off into the the stratosphere of the tabloids alexi tuliopoulos made a fantastic point about the noughties being an era with more forgotten and lost movies than the silent film era. It was that kind of like early internet time, right? There wasn't the same kind of press that movies were getting now, like press junkets where they're just spending all of their time trying to go viral rather than just like putting a movie out there. Yeah, I think Phoebe's (laughs) right in that films could still disappear back then. Yeah, I feel like now it's less about it disappearing, more about it just getting buried, like, in amongst all of the other content that's going out there, right? So it's like, it's not that it's like existence is going to disappear. It just means that you're not going to hear it above the noise of everything Talking else. about noise of everything else, the soundtrack for this movie. <laughs> 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 There is uh, no fucking new metal. No fucking new metal. <laughs> what is there to talk about? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like Saint Germain, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about the soundtrack. We've talked about the production. We've recapped the fucking plot and played the trailer. Now's the most important time where we give it the bodies hit the floor score. Bodies hit the floor. Bodies hit the floor. Lay it on me, brother. You want to start? After going out on a mind hunt, I'm going to have to give this movie <laughs> zero bodies hitting the floor. <laughs> there is no house for this, for any of these bodies to like drop dead in. It's just, I know every week I say this is the worst movie we've had to watch yet. This is just such, I don't think I'm ever going to see anything ever like this again. You will. <laughs> I am going to give this movie two bodies hitting the floor. One has its head popped off. The other is filled with liquid nitrogen and shatters into pieces. Sweet. I think this movie thought it was too smart. In reality, it wasn't much of anything. Like, there's obviously something going on behind the scenes and it's either smart or it's dumb. None of this really gelled together, but I had a great time watching it. I just started staring through the television. <laughs> it was just like... This movie went on a hunt for the mind. It didn't achieve it, but it, it mind-hunted me. I would give this movie a Bodies on the Floor score of one. Or This isn't a movie. This is a television show. 
concept. Mm. Like this is cold case. This is like fucking SVU stretched out into almost two hours. (laughs) Although I do, I would say that this might be a movie that would be enjoyed while hungover in a room full of friends hooting and hollering for the death scenes alone. Now using the power of mathematics, I will find out this film's official Durst rating, which can only be given by me. Keeper of the Durst, Alistair Bates. Six degrees of Durst. 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 Stand back, everybody. A man needs to He's count. He's gonna blow. <laughs> and that's a magic number. <laughs> oh, God. We've got the results back. Sean, would you believe it? That this film has a Fred Durst number of two. Oh, goddammit. <laughs> using, <laughs> using Christian Slater as the variable, I have deducted that Fred Durst is only two degrees of separation away from Christian cool. Slater. Fred Durst was in Paulie Shore is Dead <laughs> with Clint Howard, who was in Austin Powers International Man of Mystery starring Christian Slater. Is it Slater. always two? <laughs> yep. <laughs> but you really hate this segment by now, don't you, Betsy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everybody. As usual, we have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook you can follow. Instagram being Take a Look Around Pod, Twitter being Take a Look Pod, and Facebook being Take a Look Around Podcast. We do have a Patreon as well with a new segment every month. Last month's segment was uh, Fred Durst, The Life in Four Chapters, where we got lost in the Durst first. And this month is going to be Big Money Hustlers, the films of the Insane Clown Posse, Mad Mad Wicked Clown Love. We'd love to have you as a listener. It's a great series. Phoebe, it's been a pleasure having you. You've truly hunted my mind. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me, guys. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug? Um, if you want to follow me, uh, follow me at phoebe.paradise on Instagram um, or buy some of my clothes online at phoebeparadise.com. Thanks, guys. No worries. Thank you so much for coming on. Phoebe, what are we going to go out on? What track? Breaking the Habit by Linkin Park. Done. Fucking remix. <laughs> Like opening the wounds I'm picking me apart again You all assume I'm safe here in my room Unless I try to start again